Verete, a bleach fandom community podcast brought to you by Renji's hair tie. One elastic could mean the difference between looking like a lieutenant or looking like a stray dog. My name is Naomi, and today I'm joined by Shiki. Hello. And a very new but very exciting voice from the community, Quills. Hello. Quills, it's so nice to have you here with us. I'm excited to be here. Oh my gosh, it's literally so exciting when fellow fans from the community come on and join us. And like, literally, it's no exception today. So well, <laughs> to kick things off... Oh, sorry, on you go. Oh no, I'm uh, very excited to be here since I've been listening to this podcast for every episode pretty religiously. And you're going to have to hold me back because I'm going to start blabbering. <laughs> That's cool. We'll let you ramble. It's fine. So to kick things off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your Bleach history, like your favorite characters and how you came to find Bleach? Oh, gosh. I think I got on the Bleach train, I think, around the same time when I realized, oh, Pokemon's not an anime. <laughs> or Pokemon is an anime. And anime is bigger than just Dragon Ball Z and what's on Toonami. So then I started venturing into the, you know, 14-year-old self, discovering the internet and all the anime, which you could find on it in those illegal fan subs <laughs> and the very shady, bitter and downloads. And I discovered Bleach. And I think I spent three and a half days downloading all of the available episodes. I think it was up to like 100 something back then. And I binged it all in one go. I didn't, I barely slept for like a week. And by then... It was right in the middle of, uh, I think, the Arankar arc, and I was hooked in. <laughs> I was I was solidly hooked in by then. Um, it was my first real shonen anime uh, that wasn't, you know, Pokemon or Dragon Ball Z. And I was like, oh my goodness, the aesthetic, the style, the swords, the slightly misconstrued Japanese culture that turned me into a weeb for the next decade of my life. <laughs> uh, it was all it was all just really exciting and new. And I think I latched on to uh, well, back then I latched hard on to Hitsukaya Toshiro and I was a shameless fangirl. But as I've grown up and matured and get, gotten a wider taste of anime, I'm I'm still a shameless Hitsukaya <laughs> <laughs> but I've expanded my taste to Urahara and Aizen too. So. Yeah, that's essentially me. I've written fan fiction. I've drawn fan art. I've purchased a Zanpakuto in a very ill-fated Comic-Con and had to check it in at the airport. So that's really my, it's really been my most central uh, fandom in anime. And I'm very happy to see it reviving and I'm happy to be back. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, we're so excited that you could join us here so we could stan and simp against hitsugaya because you're definitely not alone with <laughs> yes uh, i look forward to this <laughs> <laughs> speaking of exciting we've had three very exciting episodes this week oh yeah <laughs> ranging from what intense fights to background information it's always good when it fills in gaps isn't it yeah this might be one of our first in-depth looks into some parts of soul society we didn't know about before we need more lore backstory. Yes, lore. Yes. All that good, delicious <laughs> lore. <laughs> just yeah, I think I think it was you, Shiki, who said it a while ago. Like if they just created a whole spin-off filler arc, yes. background, a day in the life of a Shinigami or something like that. It's just like something this. based in the academy, just like following God, the life. I want of it a, so bad. <laughs> yeah, it's just like let us follow the life of a recruit 
going from just discovering their spiritual pressure to getting going through the academy and everything. That'd be so amazing. Give me their like weekly schedule, their monthly calendar. And just make it like one of those school, like high school slice of life shonen stuff like that. That'd be so amazing. I'd love that so much. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. That would be a filler I could get behind. <laughs> what, like romantic shenanigans that she got in the academy? <laughs> I school AU, but not. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we get a little bit of that, I guess. Oh, it could be something like, I'd be thinking some, like, similar to Blue Exorcist and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. That'd Except you're the spirits that they would have exercised. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, shall we dive in and recap what we saw? I'll be starting off with episode 30. As Hanataro leads Ichigo and Ganju through the sewers to the tower holding Rukia, we learn Rukia told Hanataro much about the world of the living and Ichigo. Meanwhile, lieutenants are in shock over the damage Ichigo and the gang have done. Rinji manages to intercept Ichigo and shows the strength of the lieutenant in their home turf. But Ichigo seems to be more than ready for the challenge. Which leads us into episode 31, The Resolution to Kill. As the fight between Renji and Ichigo seems to be drawing to a close, Ichigo realises that what he needs to, needed to win isn't power or strength, but merely the resolution and intent to kill. In a flashback, we saw Urahara explaining just that, and elsewhere in the Soete, we see two new lieutenants, Lieutenant Momo Hinamoi and Lieutenant Izuru Kira, showing their concern for their fellow lieutenant, Renji. As the fight ends, Renji is left with a face full of red locks and a fleeting thought of Rukia, again hinting that there was more to them than meets the eye. And finally, episode 32, The Star and the Stray Dog. Defeated, Renji thinks back to his relationship and childhood upon where he met Rukia and their dire living conditions in the far-flung 78th district of Rukongai. We follow their journey together as they enroll in Shinikami Academy and what led them each to their positions now. Completing his flashback, Renji then, in shame, begs Ichigo to protect Rukia where he could not. So yeah, these three episodes have definitely centered very heavily around Renji, giving us a little bit more insight to his character, a little bit insight to his past as well, um, his fight with Ichigo, but then we're also seeing... A little bit, we see a little bit of everybody else dotted around as well, as if the anime is reminding us that, don't worry guys, they're still there, we're just focusing on these ones at the moment. Yeah, it was very interesting to get the backstory of Renji and Rukia through Renji's eyes, because we get to see not just their backstory, but also what it's like in the Rukon district, and then growing up through Soul Reaper Academy and just becoming a Soul Reaper. It Gives us, like I said earlier, a lot of the lore that we oh so desperately love. And just it gives us more attachment to these characters and knowing what they fight for and why. It's just something very interesting to look at through his eyes. Yeah, it's almost like I've been on an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. kick. And Mm. they (laughs) mentioned that they have like a defining moment. So this is our look into what Renji and Rukia and possibly Rukia's defining moments are that makes them who they are today, basically. Yeah, and it's definitely like also humanizing the Soul Reapers in a way, because when we first get our look at them, early on we said, like, these all all these guys seem like shithead bastards who are just the villains, and why would we want to 
cheer for them later on. And this is like our first step into actually seeing them not as the bad guys who want to just do things by the book and use murder and executions, but actually people who have hearts and backstories. I very much agree. I think really before this fight, the Soul Reapers, you see differences between their divisions, but they still seem quite monolithic in terms of they're just a military organization. They're very much like by the book, strict and to the rules, and there's really no room for negotiation. But both you see like Hanataro's interaction with Rukia, and you see all of Renji's backstory and the differences between their social dynamics now. Um, there's like the poor districts, the nobility. Not every Shinigami comes from the same background. This gives them both more characterization and lets us like slowly realize that maybe not all of the villains are doing this for the same reason. There's differences between them, and that helps us, I think, pay more attention to both the world building and the nuances of the character dynamics between Soul Reapers. Like in this yeah. one, Renji, Rukia, I guess Byakia in the flashback, you realize, oh, they're all coming from different places. And then now you can apply that to all the other Soul Reapers as well. It gives them, and if you pardon the pun, it just gives them soul. <laughs> <laughs> so was there anything specifically that jumped out of you at episode 31? Uh, episode 30, even. Yeah, so with episode 30, it was... I felt there was a lot more to episode 30 and 32 than there was 31, because 31 was basically just a fight scene. See, I I actually have written down here episode 30, almost boring, kind of slow to start with. Oh, you think so? I, I think, yeah, I thought out of the three episodes, episode 30 was, it was basically the build-up to the fight. It wasn't the whole meatiness and nothing. It, you didn't really learn anything until episodes 31 and 32, whereas 30 was just kind of the build-up. And it was just, it was very almost hand-holdy, in my opinion. Mm. Kind of held your hand as if to say, look at them, they're off the wall now, type of thing. It was. I think a lot of it was a lot of reaction shots where they were hyping up how difficult a fight against a lieutenant would be. But on the character front, they some good moments for both Rukia and Hanataro. Um, mm -hmm. The Hanataro and Rukia juice box scene? Yes, mm -hmm. it was very wholesome. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like, I liked episode 30 because it really humanized... It was like a really first major step into humanizing the Soul Reapers by getting to see the interactions between Rukia and Hanataro. And I really think that like gave a good lead into humanizing them further through Renji's backstory. Because it might seem have might have just seemed like a huge leap otherwise. But with Hanataro just like talking innocently to Rukia and we actually see that kind of there's a lower rung to even Soul Reapers between the different court guards. I do have written my notes. Sewer system? Do Soul Reapers <laughs> produce waste? <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> No, but on a more serious <laughs> note. Um, but it's a good point. Okay. Like, it yeah, bodily functions. I mean, they and eat. And... So. Uh, <laughs> I guess some mysteries are best left unexamined. <laughs> but yeah, no, on a serious note, I feel like this episode does end on a really important point for setting the character arc stage for this fight. Because the ending shot, um, or the ending conversation of Ichigo's and Ganju's conversation with Hanataro is Ichigo saying, yes, this is my fault that Rukia is in this position. 
which then ties into Renji's arc later when he says to Ichigo, it's your fault that Rukia is in this position. And then the clash becomes how each of these people respond to it differently. And then that's where 31 really is a clash of ideology, more so than, you know, just a straight up who's stronger. And then you can see how Ichigo's mindset leads to victory, where Renji's mindset leads to defeat. So that's really episode 30. It's setting up that baseline where Ichigo and Renji have a lot in common in how they view the situation. It's how they responded to it that leads to them being on opposite sides of the fight and essentially kind of, you know, sets up Renji being sympathetic later on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was also interesting how, like, once Renji was defeated, he also kind of felt that it was his fault that Rukia is in this situation, too, because he just let her go. Yeah. Yeah. Which is oof, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, you definitely see the regret that he has for letting letting her slip through her grip for being he thought he had to be happy for her mm-hmm. yeah really, i think didn't really want the ending shot of this episode really sums it up where you see ichigo and renji and then it pans up to rukia's prison window i thought that was a really good framing shot for what the real conflict is where you have ichigo's face on one side of the screen renji's face on the other and then it smash cuts and closes in on rukia's prison window i'm like hmm <laughs> Yeah, definitely the defining moment for the, the for at least those two is that they're pretty much realizing that at that point they're both fighting for the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So in episode three, did you guys notice any of the differences between the anime and the manga? We didn't get juice boxes in the manga. <laughs> no, there was no there was no cute little talk with Ruki explaining what a juice box was. Oh. Yeah, and then the little scene with Ohime and Ishida. Mm-hmm. Um, with the two fairies that pop out, and yeah, that was anime only. Mm. It didn't really play to Orihime much, like, you know, her two fairies just popping out and being there. Um, that's the anime for you, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess they felt like we needed a refresher on what Orihime's powers were. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys note that when Renji was talking... Um, to Ichigo, he stated that even if you even if Ichigo beat him, there's still eleven more lieutenants and thirteen captains to beat. Oh yeah, I did mm-hmm. notice that. Rather than twelve lieutenants. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's like a little bit of a a node to the fact that not all squads are perhaps a whole squad, as it were. Mm-hmm. That feels quite realistic, though. They are a military organization. They yeah, a high risk vocation, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, it, it's not. It actually makes a lot of sense that not all of their officer positions are a hundred percent filled at all times, especially when they make a fuss about how much further above in ability lieutenants and captains are compared to all the seated officers. Yeah, it, it makes you think that you know there's a lieutenant position available, and no one as of yet has come in that is perhaps at that level that they could take over. Realizing hindsight foreshadowing in spoilers. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of the squads, though, the Squad 4 um, outro with the cameo from Squad 11 of the outro song, mm-hmm. where you've got the introduction to Squad 4, but then you've also got Squad 11 just kind of having a wild party as they're all trying to heal. <laughs> and... Shout out to Yumi Chika, who's sitting calmly on his bed drinking tea. 
thought that was hilarious. I don't know if you guys noticed that. I did. It was lovely. <laughs> Give us more squad dynamics. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's what I like about these uh, these outros they are giving those those squad di- dynamics it's letting us see because you can totally tell squad 11 is going to be the one that is rambunctious partying even when they're trying to heal they're the problem they're child <laughs> <laughs> yeah what about um sub and dub differences was there anything in there so for sub and dub we had two notable differences and one is more of a cultural note when Rukia asks Hanataro to address her normally in English, that just involves Hanataro not calling her Miss Rukia and just saying Rukia. But in Japanese, this goes into the honorifics in that he was using the term dono, so Rukia dono, which is a honorific you use when you're talking to someone of higher stature than you and deserve that utmost respect. Um, so instead, he uses the honorific san, which is more of a casual honorific, but still not so casual as to not use any honorific at all. Yeah, I I remember picking up on that as well, because it went from Rukia. I think it was, I think I remember hearing Rukia-sama, but I could have been wrong. Um, and it went, then went to Rukia-san. But it struck me as odd that never once did he refer to her as Kuchiki. Of her last name, it was always Rukia from the start, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have to double check that. It might have been Sama, but I thought it was Dono. Might have misheard. The other difference was when Kempachi was explaining that he can sense other people fighting from far away, even when he can't sp- sense spiritual pressure. In English, he said that I'm just strange that way, but in Japanese, he said it was because he's that strong. Ken Ken Patrick's not strange, bless him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I just found that an interesting choice in that the English would just say that or have Kenpachi call himself weird, but in Japanese he was like, It's because I'm that strong that I can tell when people are fighting. Yeah, the the arrogance of that is mm-hmm. definitely screams more Kenpachi than calling himself weird. Yeah, that's a strange yeah, it does seem more in care- in keeping with his idea of he's not weird, it's just everyone else who doesn't ha- hasn't gotten on his level yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else from episode 30? Um, no, not, 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 not particularly. No. So we'll move on to the meaty of the fight, the meat of the fight, episode 31. We got new names for this episode. We got Izuru Kira's name. I always get his name. I always get his names the wrong way around. <laughs> but yes, Izuru Kira, the vice captain or the lieutenant of Squad Three. So we got. It's always nice to get the kind of names. Then you can stop referring to them as oh, the moody-looking blonde one or the small little one with the bun in her hair. Like you actually. What can... were we supposed to be doing that? <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, it's it is. Because now you can put faces to names. Right. That's assuming you can remember their names. (laughs) That true. That true. (laughs) There's a lot of them coming. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the joys of having a large cast is there's such diversity, but good luck remember every single name. (laughs) I mean, it's not just their name. Their weapon also has a name. And then their Mm -hmm. weapon techniques also have names. So it just snowballs. (laughs) Fortunately, two is manageable, I think. One thing that struck out to me about this episode is that I literally had just started writing down, you have to give Ichigo some credit for this fight. 
because he does get a little bit calculative. He starts seeing things. He starts analyzing when, especially when he's analyzing Renji's Zanpakuto and noticing that it takes three attacks before he withdraws it back into its stasis state before he releases it again. But then he messes up anyway. <laughs> so he does try, bless him. I did have to, like, I did have to give Ichigo some credit in that fight that he was, he wasn't just diving straight in and just slashing willy nilly. He was. He was attempting. using strategy. He was. Uh, yeah, he, he was. He actually learned something from Uehara. <laughs> <laughs> he listened. <laughs> I do very much like uh, the bleach early bleach fights in this case, where they tend to be more analytical, um, both in terms of uh, the actual mechanics of the fight and also the ideology of the fight, which is how the second half goes after his analytics doesn't pull through for him. <laughs> because the episode title is called The Resolution to Kill, right? And that's actually really interesting in terms of the mindset required for victory. Urahara has a whole uh, flashback speech about it that I thought was fascinating in terms of, uh, in the context of what it takes to win a fight, a high level fight like this. Um, even after all your, you know, careful observation and planning and timing has failed you. <laughs> and of course, it links back to what Juobo was saying in the previous episodes mm-hmm. of, with Ohime not having that intent or that resolve. Yeah, yeah, very much. I thought it was. Because you keep in context that uh, Ichigo is a 15-year-old modern Japanese teenager. (laughs) He has been through a lot of things normal teenagers don't go through, both in the course of his whole life and in the last two months since he's been fighting um, Hollows. But fighting somebody who looks and acts human with the intent to kill is a lot to ask from a kid, essentially. you can see that uh, it really takes him some time to get into that mindset. Uh, that I assume that most Shinigami who are trained to be soldiers, essentially, uh, have a much easier time snapping into. Yeah, because they've been at that for years, if not decades. Not just in yeah. their academy years, but also in working in the various squads. While Ichigo just had like a couple months to properly learn how to fight like a Shinigami. Yeah. And before and that, in the he case was just... of Renji... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. In the case of Renji, he was literally fighting to survive mm-hmm. in the Rukon before even becoming a Shinigami. So there's that. Yeah. Goal. Yeah. And then we got Ichigo, who was just like literally fighting punks who were disrespecting grave markers and not really putting too much thought into it as far as like, how do I beat these people? Just like kind of whipping their asses <laughs> yeah i really like that uh urahara specifically addresses ichigo's fear right because that's something you don't see a lot in shonen protagonists like generally combat is is just something that happens um but urahara breaks down all the different fears that are going through ichigo's head as he uh that are slowing him down essentially in a fight the fear of you know getting hit the fear of failing to protect the fear of hurting the person you're fighting. Those are all, I think, three really valid ones that I don't see addressed a lot in Shonen. <laughs> yeah, and it's really interesting to see how he has to, he has to like turn that fear around into resolve. The very excellent speech of don't fear being hit. Think I will block it. Don't fear 
the person I protect will get hurt. Says I will protect them and don't fear hurting the other person. Say I will win. And you can see how that kind of forms the foundation of a lot of Ichigo's subtle character arc throughout the whole. I will protect and I will do whatever it takes to do that. That drives him through this entire story arc, I think. Yeah, he's really living up to his name meaning, isn't he? Of right. And it contrasts not Renji. but protect one, but yeah. Mm-hmm. It really contrasts Renji, too, when you finally get to hear Renji's internal thoughts. Because <laughs> Ichigo is coming from a place of resolve, right? Mm-hmm. And then Renji, on the other hand, once you get into his head, He's coming from a place of despair. He's not fighting yeah. Ichigo in order to protect Rukia. He's fighting Ichigo because he thinks it's Ichigo's fault that Rukia's in this position and Renji has no other outlet. Because <laughs> he, can't, he can't beat the 11 other vice captains and 13 captains. He can only take it out on Ichigo. So it's a clash of ideology and mindset, I think. Which, mentioning that, actually, saying that Renji is blaming Ichigo... He actually blames him a lot more in the anime than he does in the manga. There's a lot of anime Renji is literally just blurts for a good couple of minutes of how much he blames Ichigo. Where in the manga, it's like literally one panel. He only says it once. Something like that. So there's a lot more. You see a lot more of that despair in the, on the, in the anime side of things. And not only that, I mean, there's the whole think of, think of who he works for as well. Yeah. <laughs> and the connection they have. It's rough. It also changes how you view, because a lot of people point out Renji's reveal of his backstory with Rukia here makes how uh, he treated her when they captured her in the world of the living seem very uh, unnaturally harsh. But I've rationalized that as rather than just mischaracterization as more of um, he's internalized so much of this power structure and his helplessness to change the reality that it's caused him to lash out in ways that shouldn't necessarily fall on people that deserve it um he did essentially i feel like in the earlier chapters almost blame rukia a little for her own situation and then he shifted that onto ichigo and it's only at the end where he realized no who i really blame is myself (laughs) it's a it's a whole round circle realization for him i think that wow i've been a jerk because i'm mad at myself (laughs) Who needs therapy when you can just fight someone you blame? No, seriously. Imagine how much fewer fights we would have if social society had dedicated therapists. (laughs) (laughs) True, though. (laughs) Shall I continue with the manga differences then? Mm -hmm. Yes, I don't have any. I don't have any other differences. So, so not only does Renji place a lot more blame on Ichigo, but Izuru and Hinamori also have a lot more concern for Renji in the manga, actually. Um, then in the anime, in the anime, they're just kind of, they're just passing off as fellow lieutenant. But in the manga, you can kind of get a sense that there may be more to that little trio than meets the eye. Like there's more backstory that you're wanting to know because you can see Hinamori was concerned by the fact that Renji left. But then when she confronts Izuru out of everybody, you can see that there was a lot more concern there. There's a lot of interesting things in that scene, actually. One, Renji leaving his lieutenant armband behind. That's actually very significant uh, if you consider, like, it's, a, it's almost like how important these sig- symbols of rank are in their society. It's almost as if he's like, I'm renouncing my position in order to do this on a personal level. Also, yeah, it's, 
tying into that despair, isn't it? That yeah, it does. Desperation of, I need to do this, and I don't, I don't care what happens to me right now because I need to do yeah. it. Now. Yeah, it's like setting beside my rank, realizing that I might be doing things I'm not supposed to, but I'm going to do it anyways because this is the right thing. Yeah, or this is just how it has to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, Hinomori did not tell her captain about this, which I feel like is uh it shows how deep once once you figure out more about Hinomori, it's a it's a retroactive realization of Hinomori and Izuru and Renji are probably closer friends than the initial impression gives, given how much how far they're willing to go to cover for each other. It's a uh, it's rules bending from the other side, honestly, which we don't see a lot of up to this point. No, and it tie again ties back to that whole human nature that Chiki was mentioning, that they're not just going through the motions or abiding by the rules. They do have empathy for one another and they will cover each other's backs and they will defend them should they feel the need to defend them, but like not jump to the conclusions and try and find out the answers just to help their friends. And then the final manga difference that I have is I'm interested to know why they didn't include this in the anime. But in the anime, when right at the end of the episode, Renji attacks Ichigo and Ichigo gets caught. Um, he actually took the hit of the blow of Renji's sword. Within the manga, he catches it with his hand, and it's just his hand that gets cut from the blade, whereas he actually full-on takes the blow in the anime. So it's interesting to see why the anime didn't make Ichigo look as good as the manga did. That's a good question. Maybe it's more expensive to animate hands? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they wanted Ichigo to have some kind of flaw, so (laughs) he needed knocking down a peg or two in the anime. Whereas in the manga, he's pretty much badass, so he gets to catch it. <laughs> in what world is making your shonen protagonist less badass the goal? <laughs> uh, I will add one little thing that the anime added in that I thought was cute was in Ichigo's flashback when Urahara hits him with a heavy blow. Hesai scoops up Ururu and Jinta in his arms like a mama bear <laughs> to <laughs> protect them, and I thought that was adorable. Oh. <laughs> Mama Betasai, that's yeah. cute. <laughs> Just a quick half second scene that I thought was wholesome. Yeah. And that's pretty much all I had for manga differences. Um, there was like one line that didn't make it in that I could see to the anime, and that's Kisuke telling Ichigo to never forget that feeling when they're talking about Resolve, whereas they didn't mention it, he didn't remind him in the anime, in the flashbacks mm-hmm. in the anime, but in the manga, Kisuke says, don't ever forget that feeling. Which then kind of ties, then leads back into the present where he's remembering that feeling and he's finding that resolve to continue through the fight, to push through. It was implied. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a pretty good summation of episode 31. Did you say you had no sub-dub differences with 31? Yeah, there was no um, sub-dub differences that I noticed. Um, So, yeah, because it was just mostly a fight scene with a couple of flashbacks. Yeah. And then the outro was Squad 2, which is pretty cool, and a mysterious woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the Squad 2, it was not... We don't don't know their names yet, do we? We don't. (laughs) 
So it was literally just three people on screen who look intriguing enough. We have had that brief scene where the vice captain seemed to be rather a bit of a callous jerk when hearing about Renji, uh, hearing yes. about the invasion. <laughs> Other yeah. than that, we know next to nothing about them. But you see the captain, at least. You see this, you see this female who seems all quite hardened and strong but then has a tender side at the end. Yeah, her eyes soften. <laughs> yeah. So it gives What's you a kind of little about? insight and it makes you wonder what happened or what's going to happen and find out what the insight to their story is. They're just teasing us with lore they haven't given us yet. <laughs> <laughs> and then episode 32, which... Believe it or not, episode 32 is actually officially classed as a mixed canon filler. Is which, it? Which is, makes, me, makes me both happy and sad. <laughs> it was lore filler, though. The best kind of filler. Exactly. That's what makes me happy, but sad that it's not canon-ish. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll be curious to hear what is not canon in that. You'll be pleased to know I have a list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, with it. Yeah, let's go, let's yeah. hear what's canon and what's not canon first. Okay, so basically the manga, the anime gives us more exposition into Rukia and her justice for all. Um, the small scene with the Shinigami saying that they're hungry, you know, when they're watching the Shinigami come out of the the, forest, the house and then Rukia faints and he gives them the onigiri. That's anime. In the manga, it's already implied that they know what spiritual pressure is, spiritual power is, and that only those with spirit, strong spiritual power gets hungry. It's just implied that they already know in the manga. So the anime gives us that little scene of introduces it, introduces the fact that at least Rukia has that spiritual power. And uh, that, yeah, it's pretty much just all those kind of ex um, exposition scenes. Yeah. The anime, the manga is very much just Rukia, Renji, and the little Inuzuri gang, as it's colloquially named as. <laughs> um, whereas the manga, the anime offers a cute little scene with the kid um, getting being bullied and getting his candy stolen. So Rukia then gives him her sweets instead. It gives a little bit more wholesomeness, does the anime. Just to twist the knife that much more afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that's that's pretty much what the canon, what's canon and what's not. Yeah, those are, but I like I like those scenes, so I think they're canon. <laughs> yeah, they're canon in our heart. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and uh, as like it just all the little all these anime scenes just made my little Renruki half flutter. I was <laughs> like, do. Also, Kid Rukia is a queen, a badass queen. I literally wrote that even as a kid. Yeah, that's Rukia all my, is that's badass. All my notes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so here's a question about that. Obviously, we we're going to ignore the fact that in the earlier part of the season that we heard people don't age in the soul society because I think at this point we know that's not true. But if we see Kid Rukia, when do we think she? How old do we think she was when she died in the human world? Well, we haven't. There's. Backstory flashbacks later from another character that clarify a lot of this. Yeah. Am I just so forgetting these? I mean, I'm happy to rediscover it, but yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, but it's... Rukia, Rukia 
would have had to age in soul society. Um, yes, definitely. This is both we see them age in this episode, and uh, when more of her backstory is revealed, you realize that yeah, she would have already have to grown up to be the age we see in the flashback in Soul Society. So yeah, the whole doesn't age thing. It's just people can be whatever age they want, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's if 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 a child suddenly goes one day, oh, you know what? I don't like being this age anymore. I'm just gonna oh grow up, and then the next day. They're like a teenager. Right. That's And then when they have to like file their first W two taxes or something, they'll suddenly (laughs) age up to like twenty five. I don't know. (laughs) It's like, oh, I'm having a midlife crisis. You know what? I'm gonna go back to my um my kid years and relive it all over again. (laughs) That raises a lot of questions about (laughs) Toshira. Toshira like Rengiku keeps on hitting on me since I'm old, I'm just gonna revert back to a younger (laughs) me. I, I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> he had two choices, either changing his orientation or changing his age. <laughs> All right. That, sorry, that I'll tone down the Toshio talk. <laughs> Anyways, I have a few more notes written um, for the scenery shots, because in the manga, we only see a few panels of like the shacks and the streets. But we get mm-hmm. wide shots um, in the anime episode where it's an entire city in the 78th district and it looks quite large there's also yeah. an interesting detail that you can see a giant wall in the background which yes i thought wait are all of the districts separated from each other by walls so you can't just travel back and forth freely is that a thing that they included in the anime because it's very consciously included you can see it in a lot of shots this huge wall running across the skyline that i'm like huh. oh see that's that's interesting where you thought that, and I thought it was the walls of the Serete. Look, I've calculated the size of the and I, guy. Well, and no I was way. like, <laughs> exactly. Can... I was like, why can we see the Serete in the distance when this is the 78th district? And there was no way you'd be able to see the Serete. So it's, I never thought that it could be also, a wall Cerate's separating them from are the not next. usually there. Because remember when they were trying to cross the boundary into the Serite when they just got there? Yeah, they and came down. And the walls down. came down from the sky. So they normally wouldn't be there, I assume. Yeah. Again, I just thought this was the anime forgetting yeah, details. <laughs> and they just wanted to signify that they the were anime, still in not the Soul Society. Not a example of consistency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just blaming the anime. But I like your theory that it is a wall between districts. Yeah, that'd be very interesting, because as we know, the various districts, the lower the number, the poorer it is, the mm-hmm. higher the number, the richer it is. So it would make sense that they'd want to keep the riffraff of Hanging Dog keep the riffraff out. out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it does. That would answer the question why people don't just, you know, pick up their meager belongings and walk somewhere nicer. <laughs> but then how, if that's the case then, how did Renji and Rukia get from the 78th district? To the Shinigami Academy. Maybe a shiny rickshaw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we need... Th- I don't think they ever answer how exactly recruitment um, happens in the outer districts. That's why no, we need the slice of life filler arc. Yes. We need that answer our questions. You have four main characters. One from north, south, east, and west. But one from, like, 78. One who was a noble. One who's, like, from seven. And, like, them all becoming friends. And you're seeing 
the contrast between the four of them. Yeah. I mean, we so do nice. get to see a little of it, right? How uh, Renji yeah. seems to not know the social norms and common mm-hmm. sense in the classroom. And it's adorable mm-hmm. and heartbreaking at the same time. But Rukia, the queen, stands up for her, her bros. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, just Renji is just so eager and adorable. It's He's a puppy. <laughs> He is. I was about to say, taking the dog so symbolism, happy. he so is just an excitable there. little puppy. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't be? He's been given this shot of life. He he gets to wear shoes. Oh, yeah, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a thing. Um, he gets food. Like, he doesn't have to go fishing in the river for fish. Um, he can he have food. He gets a better life. So who wouldn't be an excitable little puppy? You know, you just wave the minor detail that you're going to be fighting soul-eating monsters for the rest of your existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at least he yeah. gets to be someone and actually show that the people from the 78th district aren't just riffraff who have no lot in life. Yeah, they can be someone. They can be a lieutenant of a prominent squad right. in which they have a pretty cool captain who makes an appearance in this episode. It'll be interesting to see the proportion of commanding officers that... Uh, originate from nobility versus originate from, say, like the poor districts of Rokongai. Because there does seem to be a sense of superiority and a a split between the two origin stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want yeah. these social dynamics. What is the <laughs> what is the you know social economic situation? <laughs> the stratification of soul society. I need answers. <laughs> but also something I found interesting when we were seeing Rinji and Rukia develop their spiritual energy and Rinji was showing off and Rukia showing off even more. Yeah. I was just thinking like, wow, even early on we learned that Rinji was a grower and not a shower as emphasized <laughs> oh, by his no, Shiki. Zimpacto. Why? <laughs> uh, Why would you put it that way? <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's even emphasized in his Zimpacto. <laughs> Oh, you've been saying on that one as well, well haven't you? are doing yeah. so well staying away from the degeneracy. <laughs> oh, I mean, well, I... I True, we, we were off to a when we, get, when, we get to, when we get to the awards, I kind of lower the tone a bit, but yeah. Right. <laughs> I just get to know. I gotta break it. I just gotta break that mold so that way we can just go in there and I'll take the hit for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I like the contrast in topic changes from socioeconomic well-building <laughs> to growing and selling. <laughs> yeah the last like major note <laughs> the last like major like note note for the episode i had was what felt like a callback to when rukia first or ran away from the human world and right before she got captured because she saw ichigo outside of the school and ichigo was just being oblivious to what was really going on with rukia and that kind of echoed in the flashback when Renji was congratulating her for getting adopted by the Kuchiki family. Oh, yeah. So I that, didn't like, think makes, of that. Yeah, because it just felt like a Rukia being throughout her whole life, just kind of having her real feelings ignored and no one picking up on what she really wants and always just feeling like she has to do what she is, is expected of her. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. That, yeah, so that's both, that's both guys in her life that she's looked up to have both... It's almost as if she said, I'm fine, and they've not Followed pushed up. any further. Well, yeah, maybe like, if all the guys in her life weren't so dense, <laughs> it would help. Yeah, it was like, I'm just thinking like, no, come on, just look into her eyes, 
take her by the shoulders, sit her down, say like, okay, Rukia, tell me what's up. Tell me what you're thinking. I want to hear it now. Please communicate. Listen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So many things would like, wouldn't have happened or would have been so much better if people had just talked to one another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, it's a, a lesson for everything that we ever watch is why right. don't people just talk to each other? <laughs> true. True. So are there any other major manga anime differences or just those canonical things in the flashbacks? Um, The only main one I had is that in the, when Rukia is talking to Venji after Bayakua and the vassals of the clan or whoever the other people were have left in the anime, she says that they want, want me as their adopted daughter. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the manga, she says they've adopted me into the Kuchiki family. No mention of being a daughter. Hmm. Which I thought was an interesting difference between the two there. because Yeah, that could be vastly different in status, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, not a manga difference. But it's also worth noting that Bayaka isn't wearing a Captain Hayoi. Oh, that's true. But I'd point that out. He's not like it's just a white coat with a collar. He's not actually. He's as of either he's either not wearing his captain Hayori, or he's not a captain at that point. This would have been actually. We we can't quite place this on the timeline yet. We don't have enough information for that. Yeah, not yet. No, exactly. Yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on to see like when exactly he became a captain and where all the everyone's status would have been at the time when mm-hmm. Rukia was in the academy. Yeah, very much so. I'm remembering a line that Rukia says, and I can't remember if it's already happened or if it's going to happen. And it's speaking about another captain. And I think it's to, I think it's to come, maybe? I'll keep an eye out for it. <laughs> yeah, I can't recall her directly talking about any other captains yet. Mm. Um. Oh, I think I know the line you're talking about. I think, yeah, yeah that, that's coming up. <laughs> okay. And then the other big difference, which may or may not be important for reference in a future chapter or future episodes. Um, we'll see how it pans out and probably speak at length in spoiler episodes. But just to kind of put the pin in now, when Renji is lamenting over his life, he mentions that he barks or howls at the stars, whereas in the manga, he says, all I do is bark at the moon. So there's a difference between stars and moon there, which may or may not lead to something else. Yeah. Let's just put it that and way. That also ties into a sub-dub difference that I saw, which was in Japanese, as you said, it was barking at the stars, but in English, it was barking at the moon. So it seems like the English translation went with what the manga is saying and it was just the mm-hmm. Japanese that, Although that went a bit off piece and said stars. I'd also want to see like some of the original like raw scans of the manga to see like if they actually did say stars or moon to see if there was a change in the English translation or not. Yeah, from what I remember, um my sister was reading the manga on a a fan translation of the manga. Mm. And it said moon as well as the official Shonen Jump Viz translations. Yeah. I imagine a fan translation would not make that kind of change. Yeah. It might be consistency with the uh, the title of the volume. 
since this this manga chapter is in the volume titled "A Star and a Stray Dog." Mm-hmm. So yeah, they, and that's what the chapter was called as right. well. Yeah, and the episode episode thirty two in the anime was "A Star and a Stray Dog." Right. Mm-hmm. Stars, moon. Maybe Renji <laughs> just never got a proper education in. <laughs> <laughs> what heavenly bodies are referred to? <laughs> there was there was no astrology in Zobi yeah. <laughs> Academy. Special classes on astronomy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were there any other manga anime differences? Or nope that was that was it. All right, I guess we can hop on to sub and dub differences, of which I have two others besides the one that we just mentioned. So back in the flashback. When they were children, during the scene where the big kid was bullying the little kid, in English, he was taunting him, saying, take it if you can, if you have, if you had let me had it, I would have given you some, and things like that. But in Japanese, he was specifically going on about how the little kid didn't need it because he didn't have any spirit energy to get hungry. So it was just an interesting difference of, in English, they went to straight out bullying while in Japanese it was a, you don't need it, so why should you even have it? That is interesting. Yeah, and then the other major difference was in Japanese when the teacher was, or in Japanese the teacher at the academy was not as downputting towards Renji as he was in English because in Japanese he was saying, I like your spirit, but in order for you to write on this blackboard, the other students would ha- around you would have to stand up and let you pass. So I'll do it today, which seemed like a kind of respectful, like, I get your enthusiasm, but not today. But in English, he said, in the future, if I need a substitute, I'll think of you. But as I'm not dead yet, I'll do the teaching and you'll do the listening. Wow, that oh is gosh. a lot harsher. Yeah. Oh, Wow. <laughs> How mean was that? Yeah, so it was like, the English was like really laying on kind of like that social distance or difference. Yeah, there was definitely a status break between them, whereas kind of like the, the, I like definitely like the Japanese better. It's a lot more nurturing than stepping on a, stepping on him when he's down, you know? Also not expect in Japanese culture for them to be that blatant about something that's a, Potentially conflict-inducing. <laughs> that just seems so. very out of character for the language and culture as a whole. Um, granted, I'm not Japanese, but I am Asian. <laughs> and, uh, uh, that That's very a non-Asian thing to do. Yeah, it's like, especially if you know and have researched Japanese cultures, like they really beat around the bush and are not direct. Something I had a very unique experience with when I was trying to do study abroad earlier this year. And it was like trying to get the information of, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen because of the plague? And it was like, it might happen, but I wouldn't count on it. it but we're not going to say anything yet. It's like, just give me a straight answer. Stop beating around the bush. Uh-huh. Kind of like that one blogger who said their friend, Japanese friend told them, my cat died maybe <laughs> because mm-hmm. they didn't want to be blatant about something that might be upsetting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe your cat is dead? Is it Schrodinger's cat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's something I hear a lot of foreigners in Japan say they have to get used to that lifestyle of Japanese people. And I've even heard like a lot, there's a lot of Japanese people that are 
of the younger generation say that they themselves don't like that about their own culture. Mm-hmm. Although it'd be very interesting to like get a more wider view on that from the Japanese perspective. Any yeah, native okay. Japanese listeners out there? Yeah, definitely. Give us your if thoughts on interested. that because we'd love to hear yeah. some more like insight on that. So have we got anything else to discuss about this episode? No, I just really liked it. It gave yep, us really fluffy interactions and a lot of good lore. We love law. We want more law. <laughs> All that Rukia Rinji shipping that goes on from this episode. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I was happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's cute. Yeah. It, it is. <laughs> and then we had, of course, we had squad nine at the end. Mm-hmm. So we got to see two more, two more characters that we don't have names again for. So. Nope. Although, one of the guys, I mean, without the context, you see one of the guys and he has a lovely 69 written on his cheek. Yeah. (laughs) Without context, you wonder what kind of things he's into. (laughs) So, if we don't have anything else to say about these captains, chapters, shall we delve into the Dangai? Let's do it. Yeah, so, unfortunately, there's not much news this week um so we'll just save this section for a server shout out um yeah so yeah definitely come join us in our discord where we have we're having fun Mm -hmm. we started doing among us games that i kind of need to get into but i've never had to because i've always been at work (laughs) except for classes for me yeah but yeah, definitely come join us. Shout out to the Discord. Shout out to basically all the crazy going ons that happen within the four sides of a Discord window. So yeah, which we can then move on to our Shinigami Cup Peroxide Edition. And Shiki, would you like to continue trend and go first? Of course. So for my Who Wore It The Best, I have Young Rukia and her Yukata because it's so adorable. That is Aww. real good. <laughs> I love the colors of it as well. Mm-hmm. So pretty. Quills? For me, it is Ichigo and the really cool white silver shine of resolve in his eyes. Because oh, that yes. color change Aww. looks real good on him. <laughs> That's cute. Aww. I feel like I'm going to really bring down the tone of you guys have got really innocent stuff. And here's me going... Rukia and her smug look when she shows she has bigger balls than Wenji. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. Because, <laughs> I mean, her, it, her spiritual power orb was definitely bigger than Wenji's. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yes, that was, it was that. Yeah. <laughs> so for my ship, I have, I might not ship Rukia and Renji personally, but I totally love the crush that Renji had on her as a kid. It was just like so adorable and so innocent. Yay. <laughs> it is adorable. As a multi-shipper, I give them the stamp of approval. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for me, I think uh, my favorite ship is something similar to that, but more in the context of Rukia and Renji shipped with, you know, decent living conditions. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Their healthy glow when they get when they get yeah, to where she Yeah, yeah. Just seeing how much better off they are in Academy at least really warmed my heart. I'm like, oh look, mm-hmm. they've got clothes, they've got shoes, they're no longer living in a, you know, ramshackle shack. Yeah. With however many other kids that they share this shack with, yeah. yeah. Not for long. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
And mine's on the similar lines. Mine is Renji Rukia and the Inuzuri gang. Um, just the, the five of them, they just make a really cute, wholesome friendship group. You know, they're tripping uh-huh. over people, tying shoes together, stealing water. Yeah, that was clever. <laughs> yeah, it was. They're like, you know, very resourceful kids. But yeah, that little friendship group. Mm-hmm. Friendship. Best ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for my double take, it was Uruhara's resolve to kill face. Because, <laughs> oh, yeah. wow, that was like, it could strike fear into anyone. For my double uh... take, it was the, when... At the end of the flashback, they said it had been 10 years, and Renji had shot up like a weed. And I was like, wait, 10 years? How does aging work? And damn, Must boy. have been something in that fish. And then mine was how pro Renruki the anime is, because it definitely made me surprised at how they didn't dial down and even added to the whole Renruki, Renji and Rukia dynamic and relationship not even just an actual relationship but the platonic friendship they had as well mm-hmm. how much the anime enhanced that and i wasn't expecting that and that was my double take it was some good good filler <laughs> someone make an amv come on get on it <laughs> <laughs> and then fandom shout outs so for my fandom shout out i have this lovely instagram cosplay by Meggy.wt97, where they play Rangiku as a zombie. Ooh. I'm into it. <laughs> that is, I, like, I love the makeup. Mm-hmm. It's very in with the season. It is. Definitely. The wig looks good, too. That's not easy to do. Uh, for my fandom shout out, this is someone called. A complete non-entity on Tumblr. And in keeping with these episodes, they have some beautiful Ren Ruki artwork. They've also got other Bleach artwork, and you really should go take a look. Blog, like. Uh, it's it's really beautiful. They use a lot of soft colors, and I could stare at this for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And mine is also fitting for the time of year, but it doesn't say but it's probably based on Kiki's delivery service. And it is Rukia on a broom with a tiny little cat, Ichigo, clinging on at the back. That is so cute. (laughs) It's adorable and it's fitting with the time of year. And it was just the fact that Ichigo is just, as a cat, just clinging on the back of the broom. That just, it's, it's amazing. I love it. So cute. And that's by Gabe... Seabro on Tumblr. Come on, fanfiction writers. <laughs> Make it happen. <laughs> Kiki's Livery's Nervous Crossover. Thank you. <laughs> and so is that it? I think so. Yeah. Wow. So as a, he- as a heads up, uh, next episode in our watch through is actually a filler episode, meaning it completely detracts from the storyline and takes place back in the world of the living. It's very loosely based on a couple of doodles in the manga, and but has nothing prominent in it, and it's practically non-canon to the manga. And for that reason, and the purpose of storytelling in the podcast, we're actually just going to skip this episode. However, if you miss Don Kenoji and his weird laugh and want to see more, then don't let us stop you from reveling in that wonderful but eclectic human and his ragtag team of superheroes. Oh, ha 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 ha. <laughs> 
And with that being said, I think we're done. Any last comments, final remarks? Thank you for putting up with me for over an hour. <laughs> Thank you for oh, joining you're us. You're welcome. Yes, it's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Yes, it's been a pleasure talking to all of you. And with that, well, you wonderful souls, that's the end of another episode. If you liked what you heard and want to get involved, you can find us by searching the Soete on Tumblr, Instagram, and Facebook, and T Soete on Twitter. Each of these platforms will link you to our fantastically deadly Discord family, where you can chat with us about the show, read fan fiction, take part in creative challenges, and talk anything and everything bleach. Ichigo and Rukia might reap souls, but we are hoping to reap some five-star reviews, and that's where you come in. Make like our favourite orange-haired protector and Ichigo to iTunes to rate us, reviewers, and make us feel like a number one. To those of you who are listening on YouTube, don't forget to be like Chad and give us that good, good thumbs up. We really appreciate it. On the next episode of the podcast, we'll be covering episodes 34, Tragedy of Dawn, and 35, Aizen Assassinated the Darkness Approaches. We'll see you souls then. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.